0: CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Governor Kemp makes plans to expand Medicaid. What conditions will he set in his proposal? GOP Congressman Rob Woodall won't run for re-election. Do Democrats now stand a real chance to win his seventh district seat? And when will Stacey Abrams declare her intentions to run for office once again? Political Rewind starts now. I'm so glad you're with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. We have so much to talk about. This is one of those shows where I wish we had a buzzer and a timer so we could go through the subjects uh, and with efficiency. But uh, because we have so much to talk about, let's get right to our panel. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, joins us. Wednesdays and Sundays are his day in uh, the uh, hard edition, the newspaper edition of the paper. And uh, you still oversee the Political Insider blog on AJC.com. That's it. Glad you're here, as always, Jim. Republican strategist Loretta Lapore. we've talked about her credentials a lot. She was uh, Sonny Perdue's press secretary when he was uh, in his first term as governor of Georgia and uh, uh, was Carly Fiorina's campaign chair in Georgia and now does a great deal of government affairs work Correct. on public policy issues.
2: That's right. That's right. Good to be here.
1: Former Columbus mayor, Teresa Tomlinson, is back with us. And you know, you don't have to be the mayor of Columbus to continue having a presence on (laughs) Political Rewind. All you have to do is be as smart as, uh, yes, uh, Teresa Tomlinson. Or have strong
3: opinions, either one.
1: (laughs) You're now a partner with?
3: Hall Booth-Smith.
1: Okay, great. And Charles Cook, Chuck Cook, who is one of the best-known immigration attorneys in the Southeast, is back. And... Man, you've been in the national news this week. Just, We'll talk about it later, why <laughs> have you been in the news so much?
4: We'll talk about that. Well, Judge 21 Savage is one of our clients, and we're seeking his release as quickly as possible. Uh, he's custody.
1: become a, a case study in what happens when you come to this country as a young child, when you're brought here and uh, live here for all of those years and suddenly are rounded up by ICE, what happens to you? And we will get to that uh, later in the show. Uh, But Jim, let's start with what is pretty big news. It's been sort of hinted at for a couple of weeks now, but Governor Kemp has now made it clear that he is going to look at waivers, number one, to make um, private health insurance through the Obamacare exchanges more affordable for many families, but then even more uh, interesting, to a certain extent, and he hasn't told us how much, to expand Medicaid to give opportunities to people who can't even afford the exchanges.
5: This mm-hmm. has been, fifth, uh, since since 2015, this has been a move in the making, trying to persuade, uh, trying to, to move the, the GOP needle on, on Medicaid on drawing down more federal do- dollars however you call it drawing down more federal dollars to get more health care to people and uh it's uh it's 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 a remarkable shift and I think uh, you have to give credit to Democrats in the in the 2018 race who who really put health care on the table and made very clear that it's going to be another issue in in uh, in Kemp's re-election in yeah.
1: 2022
5: um yeah. I think Teresa
1: mm-hmm. I'm I'm correct in saying that we're still not quite sure, because he's now going to uh, farm out to a consultant the uh, the, the specific me- uh, uh, proposal right. uh, that he will send to the federal government. We're not quite sure what the expansion will look like. He's, yeah. He didn't say anything about a full expansion to everybody who needs to be insured. That's still kind of unclear, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, first of all, they're desperately looking for some political cover. They've been on the wrong side of this issue now for almost 10 years. Uh, and, uh, and and his re-election would depend on this, frankly, if he wasn't to do something about it. And of course, you have 2020 coming up and there's going to be um, some state legislators whose uh, fate may be hanging in the balance. And if they have not shown some progress on this. So I think Jim's right to congratulate the Democrats. Uh, we saw uh, state representative uh, B. Wynn today Actually, vote against uh, the budget because of the one million dollar. Uh, she would say, "I'm sure, boondoggle of studying something that we all well know is desperately needed."
5: L- l- yes. d- let me make a slight correction here. Yeah. Is you know, I said this is this is done with 2022 in mind. Uh, this is going to be implemented 2020. by twenty by yeah. twenty yeah. twenty, exactly. which means which means that this issue is very crucial to to yes US, U.S. Senator David Perdue as well.
1: Absolutely.
3: But, 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 let me just finish one quick thing that I think is so very important. Um, you know, it now looks like the net difference of what this would have cost Georgia would have been one hundred and fifty million dollars, which is about twenty to fifty dollars a year for each person that could have been covered, and that's unconscionable. And I've sat here and sung, as you know, Nathan Deal's praises about the good things he did do. This was unconscionable Um, now let's be
1: clear on what that hundred fifty or so million represents that reflects what the state's share of Medicaid would be under a full expansion which is not what we think at this point is necessarily going to happen that does not have anything to do with the fears that Republican leaders like the Speaker of the House uh and and others have said and nathan deal for that matter have said is the burden the state would take on if the feds at certain at a certain point can't afford the medicaid for all
2: well the, there was a ratio where there was reimbursement or right. allocation from the right. federal government and the concern the governor deal always expressed was what happens when that runs out then how does the state pick up the balance right and we've seen We've seen legislative sessions be delayed based on Medicaid funding during downturns and so forth, when they had to figure out how to balance the budget. So that's a real and legitimate concern. But now, what we're seeing, and we've been, you know, the, we've been seeing this over time, where the pain points around healthcare in this state have become astronomical. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you live in the state, whether you live in an urban area or a rural area, people are having a difficult time unless you're on an employer's insurance policy. It's very difficult, um, and so uh, I think that there's there's they're right. The Republicans are right to take this on. Um, I think with these Medicaid waivers, what they're trying to do is what some other states have done in seeking waivers Indiana, is to be up, able to instance. customize the program to suit Georgia's needs. Right. So we'll see how that plays out, and I'm assuming that's where they're looking for help from a consultant.
1: Chuck, uh, Teresa mentioned uh, B. Guyan, a Democratic mm-hmm. uh, state representative, voted against the budget because there was a one million dollar item for a consultant to come in and uh, and work on the proposal that will go to the Fed. Well, first needs legislative approval, but then go to Mm -hmm. the feds on this show. Mary Margaret Oliver, the Democratic uh, state rep, uh, was very uh, skeptical about why it would cost a million bucks to uh, have a study. <laughs>
4: it seems to make no sense to spend a million dollars. Again, it's something we know how to fix. Yeah. That's already been legislatively put out there by the Democrats a number of times. Candidates have run on exactly what to do. This should take a couple of hours, do a little internet search, maybe a million dollars an hour? I don't really know what the going <laughs> rate for that is right now, <laughs> but I can't imagine how they're going to spend a million dollars
1: doing yeah, that. They're but
3: looking for some political shell I, game it you know, is it exactly covers it, what they're it,
1: it is interesting that B. Wynn voted against this thing on the basis of that money.
5: Right, and that's that's that's, that's pretty unusual. You can yeah. see votes against the budget. And this was this was in committee, was it not?
3: Uh, you know, I don't know. I just saw I, her tweet. I, yeah, but I, I I'm yes, sure it was. I think it was in the state And it's
1: obviously in the supplemental. It's not in the big budget because we haven't seen all that yet. All right. So, okay, Loretta, Mm -hmm. uh, it's already been hit at, but 2020 is closer than many people realize. Uh, It seems to me that Republicans have a, a, they could face some difficulties on both sides of this. Uh, On one hand, it's a great way to fight off a, if they pass all this, a challenge from Democrats on a very popular issue. But Brian Kemp's got a, um, please his uh, voters, many of whom he thought uh, may have supported him because he had held the line against an expansion of Medicaid, which is one of the reasons we assume he's going on this listening tour to talk to his constituents about why he's made this decision.
2: Well, when he campaigned, he talked about waivers.
1: He did talk he about, did wai- talk you're about right. waivers. Right. So he did about waivers.
2: So all along, he's been consistent in that. Absolutely. And I, and I will say, just in all fairness, um, uh, regarding the appropriate line item on this, Medicaid is one of the most complex, complicated programs that the federal government and state governments run. And so to, when you're beginning to do something that is non traditional it's a complex problem, and that may be where the state is seeking assistance from people who are specialists in dealing within the Medicaid process, both at the federal level and the state level. So let
1: me, Jim, I, I, Loretta makes a good point. Kemp did talk about waivers during the campaign. Now, you may have heard him say some things I didn't, but... Principally I think what we heard him say during the campaign was waivers that would allow the state to help people on the exchanges afford care not a right. broader expansion it's, for uh, the
5: underserved population uh, 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 in the spring of last year I mean his his campaign very specifically said that they were not going to ask for one more dime of federal dollars in medicaid funding and and that's that's not that's not holding that's not. That's not holding right now. That's. Uh, I think that's where the shift is going to be. All right. Well, we're going to watch
1: this well, unfold.
3: Th- you know, thanks to the AJC, we know that a majority of Republicans yeah. now support uh, expanding Medicaid. And the amazing thing about Republicans is that they're people too. And so I think this is something. This is necessary. This is good policy. Uh, frankly, the Democrats were right. Uh, I hate to, uh, you know, take oh, you a little victory <laughs> lap. But let's just admit it. It should have been done years ago. Uh, Republicans are slow to the game, but they're they're here now but,
5: but let's also let, let's also remember that Brian Kemp owes a great deal to rural Georgia yeah yeah oh, and yes. the best thing that can be done for rural Georgia right now is to is is to stabilize the health care yeah. system there yeah you re- open
4: those hospitals I mean you've got to do something there what I found really curious is it's no longer referred to as Obamacare. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's back to being the ACA. It's ACA. Uh, and I just, you know, it's the changing the words. I welcome. I think it's a wonderful thing. Mm. I mean, if you can, t- if you can make healthcare no longer an issue because we're dealing with it, we can maybe get some of the other big issues in America and get those results. Yeah, the state it's a good chamber
3: thing. is pushing this, and they were pushing. And they it back were pushing it years ago. Uh, they wanted something done about it because it's an economic development issue. It's a prosperity yeah. issue. All
1: right. Well, we'll watch it unfold. It's a big news story, uh, obviously today. Uh, there's another big news story, Jim. Rob Woodall fought a—well, I don't know if he fought a hard battle because he's never been (laughs) eager to be a campaigner, doesn't like to raise money. Nevertheless, he had quite a challenge from Carolyn Bordeaux in the 7th District congressional race up there. She came— pretty close she raised a lot more money than he did and we have just learned in the last day that Rob Woodall has decided this will be his last term last of five terms i
5: think right his 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 race uh his race was the the uh his was the republican victory that was won by the smallest margin yep. in the united states yep yep mm-hmm. so he was he was kind of a marked man and you know i mean it was it was it was all 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 through last year it was very interesting to see the distinction between how he ran and how Karen Karen Handel ran. I mean, she ran a full-throated campaign. He 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 tried to keep as low a profile as possible. <laughs> yeah, well your your colleague
1: Tamar Hallerman, the Washington reporter for the AJC, uh, Loretta Tamar said that about uh, about uh, Woodall. That he's never really had the appetite for she didn't use these words, but He doesn't seem to really like raising money, doesn't like, he likes policy. He's a policy wonk which may be one of the reasons he's finally decided to get out of the game at a time when that district will be in more flux than ever before.
2: Right. Some of it had to do with his path also to that seat and being a chief of staff, having been. Assist- he
1: worked for John Linder, his right. predecessor. So he
2: was in Washington. And then when John Linder retired, he um, stepped up to run for that seat. So there was kind of a built in support mechanism for him in that district. Um, and Rob Woodall has always been well liked, amazingly well liked among Republicans. There's a lot of um, sadness that he's decided to step down, um, but certainly people understand his reasoning for why he's doing so.
1: Yeah, Tamar pointed out, uh, Teresa, that he's always had a sunny dip- disposition <laughs> about Congress. I love that <laughs>
3: idea. Yeah, right, right, Well, I would tell you this is great news for Democrats. Uh, that's going to make that a very competitive seat. I already received my first invitation to contribute to the Carolyn Bordeaux campaign <laughs> no, when no, I was on no, my no. way here. No, so, no, it looks like it's going to be a contested primary, actually. Of course, Carolyn did a fantastic job, but a young woman named Nabila Islam, uh, who actually is quite a pr- prolific fundraiser uh, and has worked for the DNC and others and, and can put together some money, is, is looking at running a progressive. Uh, so that may be a scoop to you, Jim. You may want to do a little Google right, there. But right. uh, that, So that's going to bring out young folks. Um, you're going to have women coming out. Uh, it's, it's going to be a heck of a, a, heck of a race, and, and that's great news statewide for Democrats.
1: And clearly, there are any number of Republicans who are going to line up yeah. for a shot at this, aren't there? Well, really? well,
5: I will tell you what. Yeah, yes, actually, yeah. You've got, you've got former Representative Scott Hilton. Uh, you've got current state Senator Renee Unterman, yep. who is on the outs with her party. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I think in both in the 6th and the 7th district this year, you're going to see a lot of Republicans catch up or out fever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's it, whether whether it's 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 time for them to take the gamble on running for higher office or 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 be voted out in the, in the next wave. Yeah. But before we move on, no, well, no. I, I just I, I think we need to appreciate just having a congressman who didn't like to raise money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I right. how refreshing right. is it? So,
1: so let's the OK. Blanket. Galloway makes a good point. But there are times when people make criticism to the media that I think are appropriate. And here's one moment for that. <laughs> we judged a great deal of the 7th District race on the fact that Carolyn Bordeaux was such a phenomenal fundraiser and outraising Woodall by vast sums of money. So we're sort of having it both ways when we say exactly this now. Right. Exactly right.
4: You know, I lived in that district for the first 10 years I lived in Georgia. And I look at that district now, 15 years later, it is, it is completely different. Yeah. Uh, As far as the the demographic makeup, that is going to be a very hard district in two years for a Republican to win. Well, you know what? Specifically, she or he is very charismatic. So very well. known. Okay,
1: Loretta. Yes. Here's the question. The sixth and the seventh, both looking increasingly Democratic. How long is it going to be before the Republican controlled legislature? And they are likely to stay in control uh, past 2020 carves out a super district that sucks all the Democrats, democratic voters into one district, consolidating the six and seven, they go ahead and sacrifice one seat, but they assure themselves that they are going to carve out safe seats for Republicans in the process.
2: Um,
3: that'll be 2022. Okay.
1: <laughs> wait, wait a second. Are you saying
4: there's gerrymandering
3: in murdering? I will say, be very careful about that. I think you're, you're spot on right, but be very careful about that. There's going to be a stigma about gerrymandering and it's going to be an issue. And I think a lot of people may lose their seats just from the fear because it's like voter suppression. I think people have a very bad taste in their mouth. It used to be part of the game, right? It's just the way the game was played. Yeah. It, that's not the case anymore. It's, it's anti-American. It's people think of it as being anti-one man, one vote, and and I think it's going to become an issue, and and so it could be actually a turnout mechanism for Democrats. Is that if mm-hmm. you leave these Republicans in there, they're going to gerrymander, they're going to take your vote away.
5: And with and and, and with populationship out of rural Georgia and into the metro region, it's going to be harder to draw those lines. Those yeah. those. I guess was, that's right. You're going areas. to run out of geography at <laughs> a certain so point.
4: point. <laughs> we look at what happened in North Carolina. I mean, as they the Germany, they did there to make it so Republican. When and the voter the electorate was 50-50. Uh, the Supreme Court's going to look at this issue again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if right. more states get into this, the Supreme Court is going to rule against it.
6: All right. Well, that was well, a Go there's, ahead, there's, you get the
2: last there's word. So, there's so much more transparency into the process now than there was in the past. And then people are so much more sophisticated about redrawing district lines. So it's going to it's not going to be an easy process and it's not as the Republicans are going to be at will to to carve those districts as they so choose. All right. There's going to have to be some consensus building and they're going to have to really be um, judicious about what those districts look like.
1: All right. That's the last word. You get the last word. in the <laughs> Thank <first you>. segment. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't we get a break out of the way? Because when we come back, it's been a big week, we know, for Stacey Abrams giving a response to the State of the Union message. And, by the way, being the guest this week on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is also a very big deal. Uh, And most people in Georgia are really interested in knowing what Stacey Abrams might plan next. But I'll bet you there's one person who's in this room right now who is more interested than any of the rest of us. We'll talk to her when we get
4: back. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's vehicle donation program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. You'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org slash cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much.
6: My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner. I've seen decades of misconceptions about the South from the Beverly Hillbillies on down. But in my new podcast with GPB, we're going to challenge those stereotypes and paint a very different picture of the American South. Join me for The Bitter Southerner podcast. Details are at BitterSoutherner.com.
1: Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, By now, everyone knows Stacey Abrams gave the Democratic response to the State of the Union address. She got pretty good reviews from almost everybody on who are either journalists and, and in the middle somewhere, Democrats and Republicans less so. But she did give good reviews. Let's listen to just a moment of what she had to say.
0: Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food And a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives, I didn't always agree with the Republican Speaker or Governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word.
1: Uh, so, Jim Galloway, the reason that our senior producer, Tom Faust, pulled that soundbite from her response is that he thought, and I think he was correct in this, that that particular moment came closer to giving us some hints about how Stacey Abrams might See her political future and the way in which she'd position herself as she did during the governor's race
5: well and 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 what was what was unusual if, if you if you live in Georgia what was unusual about that clip was hearing her address some very specific federal issues mm-hmm. uh, which of course leads one to think and well just the very fact that she was standing there in front of that camera yeah. uh, leads one to think that that Chuck Schumer is having some impact on on her career arc
1: <laughs> Chuck, uh, this is a very B- big decision for uh, Abrams.
4: She definitely, um, she's going to run, obviously she said, for something. Uh, this was a unique opportunity for her to present herself to the whole country. Uh, there are some people that think maybe she's running for vice president. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would make an, an excellent addition to a ticket uh, that needed balance. Uh, at the same time, she is incredibly smart and incredibly, blunt. I think she has a thirst to represent this state. So, I mean, I, initially, I thought, I thought when she lost, she is going to be back in 2022. But it's clear she's not waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2020 with Senator Perdue.
1: You want to weigh in? What, where do you think she's headed?
2: I don't know where she's headed. I, I think her remarks were quintessential, Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think anybody here in Georgia was really surprised by her delivery or her ability to tell a good story or to present herself in a, in a professional Manner, um, you know Chuck Schumer too was in a little bit of a box. He's got a lot of members of his chamber and within his caucus seeking the presidency, um, and so he had to go outside the context um, uh, of the of the chamber. Yeah, somebody and said on
1: our show the other day as he looked around the Senate, everybody is running for president, <laughs> right. so we right. couldn't <laughs> pick one of them.
2: Right, and she does have. She is the she is the most recent candidate to have the most national exposure um outside of Andrew Gillum in Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, uh, but she
5: has kept much more engaged yes. than oh, either yes. than either Beto O'Rourke or, or mm-hmm. Andrew Gillum.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. right. So, right. Yeah. Teresa, um, yeah. you are a valued panelist on yes. this show and have been from the first appearance. Yeah. But we're at that moment where we also have to talk to you as a new subject. Mm -hmm. Um, You've made it clear that you have some interest in running in 2020. You've now hired Joe Trippi, who is uh, one of the real star consultants of the Democratic Party. Uh, And we could go through his credentials, but they're significant. Um, Assuming that the Senate is something you've been looking at Mm -hmm. after a successful tenure as mayor of Columbus, How does this put you in a little bit of a box.
3: Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating. First of all, let me correct just a few things, because I can clarify, first of all, I've not hired Joe. Oh, okay. uh, I've just been working with Joe. Gotcha. He's very interested in this race and in a Democrat winning statewide, which of course, there's several opportunities, at least two Senate seats, a governor's seat. Um, but let me make this clear. Democrats are going to take those two Senate seats, <laughs> and we're going to take the governor's mansion, okay? And so we, Stacey and I, for instance, and many others, we've been in the field for a very long Time, Bill, and uh, and we intend to work together to make sure we are maximizing our opportunities. Um, so, whereas everybody has ego involved, let me just say it's ego that has been well uh, tilled in the field of making sure that Democrats harvest these statewide seats. So, I want to say um, that Stacy did a fantastic job, and uh, the Senate seat is hers if she wants it. But I've got to say it by. Any assessment you would think, well, of course, she's running for Senate, as Jim just said. Um, and then again, you see some other things uh, that would suggest that she is definitely nationally positioning mm-hmm. herself. And I think also she sees herself as a history maker. Um, you know, I was one of her core supporters, so I had the opportunity to attend, a, you know, a closed event. Um, where it was said that her lawsuits are the new Brown versus Board of Education. And it was heavily implied, and I think it's accurate, that she's the John Lewis of this era.
5: This is, these are the lawsuits so, for uh, uh, challenging uh, Georgia's voting system. Yes,
3: the voter suppression. Yeah. She has a national stage, and by all accounts she's bringing in some serious money Um, to Fair Fight Georgia. So I think that the world is her oyster. As I said earlier, she's caught lightning in a bottle. And uh, as a, a, uh, you know, constructive Democratic Party, we need to see where this moment's going to take us, right? And that's what we're all sort of waiting. And I, you know, I don't know. I've I've spoken with her. I've not spoken with her in the last few days, certainly, mm-hmm. um, to know where she's thinking. And I I honestly don't know if she has made a decision. But I will say that both the Washington Post yesterday, Jennifer Rubin, uh, and the New York Times uh, the day before both said she should be running for president. Uh, I do know that there's some national polling going on. And if you're running for Senate, what do you care? What people in uh, (laughs) Nebraska think Uh, about you or what your popularity is in in Nevada, for instance. Uh, And and, and I'll say this final thing. Why in the world are people talking about Beto O'Rourke running for president and not Stacey Abrams? And and I don't know if she's thought about this, but if she has, there's got to be just a, a tinge of resentment of why her name's not at the top of the list, and and maybe this is what that's about. Who knows?
1: So I'm, you know, Jim. We've watched Teresa Tomlinson's career as we have a lot of political leaders in this state, and there were a lot of people who thought that perhaps Teresa was going to run in 2018, get into that governor's race, and chose to pass it up. Uh, I don't envy. The fact that you've now got to sort of wait until the end of March, which is when Abrams said she's going to tell us what she wants to do before you can pursue your own political future.
5: Uh, Yeah, but uh, (laughs) but 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 but, Teresa, to your point, I mean, if you if if you if you look at, at this as something more than a one off. Mm-hmm. And if you look at this as a Democratic trend, you do have to say, OK, uh, Johnny, Johnny Isaacson term, uh, his, his he has to run for reelection in in 2022, 22. 2022. Yep. Uh, uh, we have a governor's race in 2022. Uh, every state constitutional office comes open mm-hmm. in 2022. So there are there are opportunities out there.
3: Yeah.
5: So you've done consulting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What would. I mean, how do you you know, if if, if, if uh, uh, Teresa wants to run for Senate, uh, Loretta, she's already said she's all in for Abrams if Abrams runs, but the longer Stacy doesn't say anything, Teresa can't do much. She's kind of frozen.
4: Well, she's
1: <laughs> looking <well, let, laughs> for <some> a <advice>. consultant. <laughs> I mean, if she's getting advice from Trippie, she might as well Look, get it from Lapore.
2: Look, I think, I think Democrats, particularly in Georgia. They have historically cleared the field for a single candidate, unlike Republicans. So you can look back when Michelle Nunn, Mm -hmm. Since they've been in the
5: minority only.
2: Okay, well, since they've been in the minority. Okay. Um, So they have a tendency to do that. And so, to her point, they are working in tandem. And I think that is something that Republicans need to take note of, is that Republicans, I mean, the Democrats are much more consolidated than Republicans right now and that could have an effect in 2020 and 22. So yeah. there has to be a ra- rallying cry within the Republican party as well. I would take you know, two issues with Teresa's comments. One is, I think some of the excitement around Beto O'Rourke is the fact that he ran for a national office, where Stacey was running for a state-level office. Um, and I, if I'm correct, he actually served in Congress.
3: It. Yes, yeah, did. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so, there seems
2: to be some recognition that he's he has some national credibility already that she's now developing. I think the other thing, as I, it's a little, you know, while, while Stacey Abrams clearly has a lot of talents and gifts, it's a little premature to. Her as her generation's John Lewis. Um, I mean, I think that that's just not an equal playing field, you know. And so the proof is always in the pudding. And we'll see in subsequent years and coming years how she holds on to this so-called lightning in a bottle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear that. Except, I think what I heard, Chuck, and and maybe it is a little overdone. But but uh, the voter suppression issues mm-hmm. that Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. believes uh, need to be addressed. All of the issues about purges of uh, voters from the voter rolls, I think you could fairly say this is a huge civil rights issue, it's whether it's John Lewis or well,
4: not. Not only here in Georgia, but throughout, Across the, the, throughout country. the United States. And so as that movement moves forward, it gives her more credibility as the leader of that movement. And my concern with the Democrats is something that I've always said, they could screw up a one-person parade. Uh, and Virginia is a key example of that, yeah. literally today, yeah. as we're living it. Uh, so it really depends on whether they can continue to, to hold together or whether infighting at the national level may destroy the opportunities at local seats or statewide seats like this.
1: Yeah. Teresa, I want to give you the last word on this subject because, uh, again, uh, there are a lot of eyes on you and the Democratic mm-hmm. Party right now as you decide what your future is going to be. So let me give you a sure. chance to say a last couple words. About well,
3: it. I'll say it from a, a pundit analyst uh, okay. type Good. of view. How about that? I do think it's important that we have non-metro Atlanta Candidates for statewide office from the Democratic Party. Um, you know we run so strong in those well-populated, urbanized areas. But it, the Metro Atlanta area is nine counties. What about the other 150? And I think uh, Rusty Paul, my good friend, one of the last times that he and I were able to be here together, he said that he he really thought that the Republicans had one more rule strategy left in them. Right? Well, yes. not not if there is a non-Metro Atlanta candidate. I truly believe you start skimming off some of those votes. And that's what's interesting. That's why I think the Joe Trippies of the world who, who was with Doug Jones and saw that happen? He, he or, did help Doug Jones figured, win that right. seat in so Alabama. That, that mm-hmm. explains the strategy of it. That's why people are interested in this. Is because the Republican strategy is one of those things. It's like going to a, a large dinner where you see the 999s, and somehow it adds up to a figure that you cannot fathom. And until you get out your calculator, <laughs> yeah. that, but that's what they're doing. And those margins are so small. If you come up with a way to shave those margins, the rule strategy does not work. And that's why you see the analysts and the strategists. Yeah. Very interested in these statewide races, Jim. Any comments before well, we I, take
4: I, another
5: break? I, I think I think you're going to see. You've, you've, we've already seen uh, Brian Kemp have an have an outreach office in the yeah. gov- in, in the gov- in the state capital, yeah. and that uh, that that's Martha Zoller, and her specialty is North Metro Atlanta suburbs. <laughs> uh, and I th- and uh, I think you're going to see uh, David Perdue a lot in the burbs mm-hmm. over the next 18 months.
1: Okay, well we're gonna watch all of that unfold. Uh, we're gonna get to our final break this show. By the way, before we do, uh, one quick item that, that kind of came up this morning that we didn't uh, have a chance to discuss before the show started. Jim, there was a very important ruling by the United States Supreme Court today <laughs> on the Louisiana abortion statute, which was going to limit the state essentially to one abortion provider in the entire state. What was fascinating about it is that it was a 5-4 decision, and Chief Justice Roberts, usually thought of as quite conservative, ruled with the more liberal majority.
5: That's really fascinating. That's fascinating, and it means that... There's going to be a whole lot of pressure on Donald Trump to find and appoint one more Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and my lawyer hat. Um, sure. A lot of times these conservative, uh, thought of conservative but libertarian type judges as Roberts is, you see them siding with things like gay marriage. You see them um, being very intellectual and not as political as maybe some had hoped. And Roberts is is proving um, to be that, that jurist.
1: One of the things that I think is going to be interesting to watch is that we know the. Brian Kemp did run on a platform of passing the strongest anti-abortion statutes in the country. Uh, This court decision may uh, be one reason you would want to be a little cautious about how you proceed with that. Um, So we're going to have to see how this unfolds. This was not a final decision. I mean, we could still see this. This case still comes to the Supreme Court for a fuller review, but it, it... And as states around the country are beginning to pass more abortion restrictions, we'll see if Georgia is going to go ahead with legislation that does make it tougher.
2: Well, I think we'll see legislation come up. I think how far it moves will be the question because to all the issues we've talked about just now, you know, suburban voters, female, women, female voters, their significance in voting in 2020, they've made themselves very clear. In the last mm. election cycle, um, they're they're not going to support probably stronger restrictions um, in the metro region, in particular in the northern suburbs. So you're and, and we've heard Speaker Ralston speak to the fact that he's he's being very mindful of yeah. what happened this last election cycle in metro. So if if that legislation comes out of the house, um, it would be pretty remarkable.
1: All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way, and then Chuck, you are. You're in the We're to talk a little bit today. We're talking <laughs> immigration. <laughs>
4: immigration is shocking. It's an issue again. Who was talking
1: about? <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I'm John Dankoski. This month, the Grand Canyon celebrates 100 years as a national park. This week on Science Friday, how people explore and understand the canyon through maps. The tools that allow us to feed the Grand Canyon in its entirety are maps themselves. Plus, a push of a button can order us dinner, turn on the lights, and even find us a date. How has the button changed the way we interact with technology? That's on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. This afternoon at 3 on
5: GPB and gpbnews.org.
0: It's been almost a year since 17 people were killed at a high school in Parkland, Florida. Sam Zeif lost one of his best friends that day, and he's still trying to deal with the
2: trauma.
4: I've always said, like, I don't need to go to a therapist because I talk to my friends, but... Stuff so much like racing around in my mind about it.
2: One survivor, one year later. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
4: Four till seven today on
5: GPB and (sighs) GPBNews.org.
1: Welcome back to Political <laughs> Rewind. By the way, I forgot to mention when we were talking about Abrams, I did say she was a guest down in Savannah on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which taped at our uh, uh, bureau offices down there, not in the offices, but as partners our Savannah Bureau uh, worked with them. And that show, if you want to listen to uh, Abrams, who her staff tells me was more excited about <laughs> being interviewed by Peter Sagel than anyone else who she has ever been interviewed by, uh, it, you can uh, listen to it on GPB radio across the state at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. All right. Uh, Chuck, on Tuesday night, the president went in front of a joint session of Congress finally, and immigration was one of his big subjects. It was just one of the things he said.
6: As we speak, large organized caravans are on the march to the United States. We have just heard that Mexican cities in order to remove the illegal immigrants from their communities, are getting trucks and buses to bring them up to our country in areas where there is little border protection. I have ordered another 3,750 troops to our southern border to prepare for this tremendous onslaught. This is a moral issue. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America.
1: And the president made many more remarks about immigration, even as a conference committee of Senate and House members are trying to come to some compromise on how to get a continuing resolution passed that will include more efforts at border security without giving Trump, Democrats say, his $5.7 billion for a wall. But One quick fact check, and there were certainly plenty, but, and you know this, Chuck, I assume. When, when the president said that the Mexican government is around people up and dropping. Yeah. In fact, I believe I'm correct in saying the Mexican government has now adopted a policy in which they are hoping to keep many of the people moving north in Mexico and help them establish themselves there. Am I right?
4: Well, that's absolutely true. Mexico actually has the same problem the United States has. It's a demographic problem. Uh, we will never again see millions of Mexican youth coming to the border looking for work because they don't have them. Much like we don't have them, you know, with birth rates are now below replacement level in both countries. Uh, and they see in this group of people coming up, uh, and they're not millions of people coming up. There's a few thousand coming up. They need the workers. There are millions of, there's dozens, I'm sorry, thousands of open positions at the maquiladoras, which are the plants that were created after NAFTA on the border. They just don't have the bodies to fill these positions. So yes, they're actually offering asylum. They're offering work permits after a background check. Uh, and they're not keeping everybody. And a lot of people, though, don't want to stay in Mexico. Uh, they want to come to the U.S. for different reasons. Some are jobs, some are family, and some really are the fear of what's happening to them in their home country.
1: How, how is, and then we'll open it up to everybody, but so the president's made it clear that the issue that probably won him the White House, or mm-hmm. certainly came, was one of the big issues that won him the White House, is going to stay, he's going to keep it going till 2020. In a very broad and general way, how is that affecting, say, your work as an immigration lawyer, the immigrant community that is here, undocumented immigrants that are here, uh, our work at the border? Just give us a broad picture of what it's doing.
4: Well, let's, the best thing to point out is it's not just affecting the undocumented population. It's affecting all immigrants because all immigrants feel as that they're under attack. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of talking about the wall and and talking about immigrants in the negative way they've been talked about out of Washington D.C. and the White House is to basically send the message, we don't want you here, we don't want you to come. Uh, And that's been evident in on the ground people like me to see the slowing down of applications. A great example is this. The last year of the Obama administration took four to six months to naturalize. Yesterday they updated their, their data and now it takes 18 to 36 months to naturalize. The law didn't change. Nothing changed, but everything is being slow-walked, slowed down to limit legal immigration. The big problem with the entire immigration argument we're having about the border is if they're coming for jobs, and there are jobs here, why don't we fix our legal immigration system to allow them to get those jobs if they're coming for them and they're open? Uh, The other big problem that you're seeing uh, is a direct result of intentionally limiting the number of people who can come up to a port of entry and ask for asylum. Mm -hmm. U.S. law allows anybody in, in the whole world to walk up to any port of entry and say, I want asylum. And U.S. law says you can come in and you can apply for it here. But the administration is doing what's called metering. In some ports of entry, they're only allowing 20 people a day or 50 people a day in 10. So instead of sending additional resources from USCIS mm-hmm. and ICE and CBP to those ports of entry, they're simply saying wait in Mexico. And that's what's caused people to then become desperate and say, let's walk down 30 miles. Let's go 200 miles to the middle of the desert. And what we're seeing there is they cross the border, they get over whatever fence is there, and they just sit down and wait. So, so
1: Jim, uh, it's not only the president's reelection campaign, which is going to have a it, which immigration is going to play a big role in there are Georgia Republicans like David Perdue, like Republican candidates uh, or Republican incumbents in Congress who are going to be having to stick with the president on, on immigration matters, we don't really know how big a winning issue this is
5: for in georgia right now do we? And, and it gets very very complicated because david Perdue and tom cotton have been pushing this remake of 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 who we allow the, They 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 want the u.s to have a greater say in who we allow in Legal. based on based on based on education based right. on on skills and such one, uh, chuck one question I, I would have is is okay let, let's take donald trump out of the equation mm-hmm. and if 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 you just have the House and Senate conference committees working the, together this week, what is the cleanest immigration deal that they can very quickly come up with?
4: If, if Donald Trump were out of the equation, they would create a, a big, giant border wall security fence, spend 5 to 10 to $20 billion on it, and every DACA kid would get a green card. Everybody who was undocumented would get a work permit. They would modernize our legal immigration system, which is actually quite easy to do outside of the Purdue bill. And if that got to the president's desk and he's willing to sign it, I mean, they could do but, that in a week. But, it's but, easy so to was, do. Yeah, so I heard what it. I heard. Chuck
1: was say, Loretta was not whether Trump was involved or not, whether Nancy Pelosi was in it or not. If he believes they would, they'd give the money <laughs> to the wall without Trump there. Then it's Pelosi who's the problem.
2: <laughs> well, well, the outline that Chuck presented seems similar, very, very close to the bipartisan legislation the that did right. pass. Yes, in 2007. Overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right,
4: overwhelmingly.
2: Right. Okay, but pass. you talked so, about
1: a wall, a
4: giant yeah, wall.
2: But, a they did, but, secure, but they did. But they did what? 25 million. Well, oh, no, they
4: had 65 billion
3: dollars okay. for, yeah. for the All wall right. All right. in there already. Good. Thank you. So, thank you for correcting right. me. Yeah. Well, history's going to actually uh, treat Donald Trump and. Unfortunately, all of our Republican friends very poorly on this particular issue. Uh, I think Chuck touched on a couple of things. Um, First of all, uh, yes, um, this is a humanitarian issue. Uh, We've seen children ripped away from families and the things that have been pulling at our heartstrings. If somehow that doesn't move you, um, that we are defying our legacy as the shining city on the hill, as Reagan called us, um, then the fact that uh, they're human beings and therefore also happen to be economic resources that can help build and strengthen our country. Uh, And we do have a negative replacement rate for unemployment in this country. Our birth rate is not keeping up with the demand that we need to maintain our population and be a strong economic force going forward as we would like. And so this has become an easy um, political tool uh, it is the Pandora's a box of voter turnout. Uh, and uh, for some reason, uh, Donald Trump has become addicted to it and taken the Republican But
1: will party it work him. for Republicans in elections in 2020, you including know, here in Georgia with David Perdue on the
3: back. Right. It's, it's hard to say. Things are changing so much. And there's, there's going to be a tipping point of human outrage. Um, and I think that, just like we did with health care, and, and now everybody's calling it ACA and, and no longer Obamacare, right? Democrats are going to keep pushing this issue. And at some point, there's going to be a moral and economic tipping point where people are going to think this is utterly foolish. And let me just say before my good friend Loretta comes (laughs) in, you you know the Republicans are so wrong on this because they cannot respond to what I said without saying Democrats want open borders. I have never heard a Democrat, never met a Democrat who's ever said anything about open borders. And so when you go to what lawyers call non sequiturs, jump to an illogical extreme, what you're telling everybody is you cannot support your position. Loretta? Well I think
2: I think that you do you do voters in this country a disservice if you assume that they don't see through Nancy Pelosi, right? So Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats voted for a bill that had wall funding in it and now are calling it immoral. There is a wall on the border currently. So there's a lot of duplicity and to assume that the American voters don't see that duplicity is really selling them very short so that so that's one point. I think the other point is um, this whole rhetoric about um, uh, what was it that you said about the, um, the Republican uh, point of view that they keep
1: open borders, open borders, open borders. that it's about yes. open
2: borders. Right. Um, and I think that is a talking point that has become a political talking point. But it's the same. It's a counterpoint to what Democrats are saying is an immoral policy. Mm-hmm. So how do you call something that already exists, that they've already voted on now or moral? So we have this rhetoric going on uh, that is not productive to the process. And to say that, that the American people do not see through this on both sides is just not true.
4: Chuck? What I find interesting about this whole debate about immigration, which is, I mean, took up, it seemed to me, half the State of the Union address, is that we're really only talking about 10 percent of the U.S. population at the most. And then undocumented immigrants are less than 3% of the U.S. population. and We're spending all this time.
1: Who are the 10? Then how, what are the other the, seven?
4: Those are the immigrants. There are oh, 30, okay. 30 million people okay. are not permanent residents or citizens of born abroad. Uh, it's a small percentage of who we are as a country. I think people are interested in this because it defines who we are. We are all immigrants in some way or another in our families. Uh, and because we're all immigrants, we tend to think that we are special from where we came from. Where if you look at it from the perspective that I, that I have the blessing of looking at it from, from really inside the the, the game is how it's played, is that our past, our our answers, my grandparents came the same way these people are coming from Honduras today. The laws are just a little bit different today than they were, laws can be changed. Yes, we're a nation of laws, but we frequently change our immigration laws Mm -hmm. to reflect our economic and societal needs. But become, because it's become so toxic with words like the wall or open borders or immorality, we're ignoring our own, int- our own self-interest and having an immigration system that works, and we're getting out self-interested by countries like Canada, which has a much, more, much less complex and a more welcoming system. Australia, which has more than 35% of their population is foreign born. When you tell foreign student students who we bring here in droves, o- almost a million in the last year of the Obama administration, when you graduate after you get your PhD from tech, you need to go home. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Yeah. Uh, we need to have our finally our Congress get over this rhetoric, have the president get over his rhetoric and just fix the problem. It's easily fixable. Mm-hmm. And most Americans are going to be happy at the end of the day when it's fixed. I, mean, I want to take one more point you sure. about the whole voting in Georgia. You know, how is this going to affect David Perdue? Well, Jim pointed out David Perdue produced a bill that would half the number of legal immigrants to America. It's a bad bill. And that's why it only ever got two co-sponsors. But think about that bill in rural Georgia. Rural Georgia depends on migrant labor. Uh, if you drive through rural Georgia, it's no longer a black and white area. There's lots of brown in rural Georgia. There's lots of Indian, Indian, maybe not American Indians, but Indians from India in rural Georgia. Uh, there's lots of Chinese or Asians in rural Georgia. It's a different kind of place. And they now know those immigrants. And so I don't think it's a big winner for a, a big enough section of rural Georgia to carry Purdue over the finish line if this is what he's gonna hang on to.
1: Yeah, everybody at this table, Seems to me, Jim, to say... Make, be making a plea that we get past the rhetoric on both sides. Well, th- of this, this
5: is this is this is very th- this this whole table is yeah. very much reflective of Johnny Isaacson's speech yeah. just before the shutdown was shut down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and where he said was that uh, Republicans made a terrible misstep in two thousand six two thousand seven when they made immigration the litmus test, litmus test in, in GOP primaries. Yeah, and it has it has shut off any kind of negotiation. That's 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 uh, uh, and and has just sent us into a tailspin.
1: All right, we are running out of time in the show. We got a few minutes left. We're not going to solve the immigration problem right now, but let's talk about one more aspect of it, Chuck. I mentioned at the very top of the show, you have a client now, and and in fact, you're waiting for a word from uh, from ICE right now about his fate. Twenty-one, I 21 right Savage, who most of you know, my children have both now grown and left home, so I don't hear as much about the rappers of the day that I used as I used to. He's a very popular young rapper. He lives here, came to this country with his family when he was five years old and clearly has overstayed the amount of time he was supposed mm-hmm. to be here. Uh, but this has now become a national story, The Atlantic Monthly, The New Yorker. Uh, other publications saying he is an example of what's wrong with our immigration policy. Uh, with just give yeah, us a what, couple what's minutes. What's
4: interesting about this young man? And he came. He came as a as a child of a legal immigrant uh, working in the United States. That visa ended up expiring, and he ended up staying. He grew up in uh, in those parts of Atlanta that a lot of us don't hang around in. Uh, he has been successfully being able to come out of it. He went through some difficult struggles as as a young man. Uh, he would have been DACA eligible if he hadn't not if he had completed high school, but he is now not just famous because his music is is extraordinary, uh, but also because he is a symbol that immigration is not a Latino issue. Where, where was he born? He was born in the UK in London. Uh, although you've talking to him, you would there's no hint of a British accent at all. Well, he's been <laughs> in he, he was five. He yeah. was right? So you know, he, he would just think he's, he's an American. Uh, And you look at that, it's it's now a black issue. It's an Asian issue. And this is what I think is waking up a lot of the communities that really in the past never paid attention to the immigration issue, because it really affects the black community. It affects the Asian community. Um, And as we try to get him out, as we fight his case, you know, immigration is not mandatorily holding him. They can release him at any moment. Um, it has become political as a result. And do you are you going to detain this young black man uh, because of allegations that may have happened in his past, with nothing that makes you do that? Where, where uh, is he? Be, where is he being held? We're not disclosing where he's being held, Jim, <laughs> because we, we, we're concerned about as security as about as as ICE is as well.
1: We should uh, say, by the way, in your talking about his being held, he's up for two Grammy Awards. He is. He's the Grammys to, are coming right up, and he's not. He's be supposed able to be
4: performing there. on yeah. Sunday at yeah. the Grammys, yeah. uh, and ICE is well aware of that, and we're hopefully quickly here, maybe right as soon as this show is over, uh, that he's either out or he's in. And if he's in, we have, go to our next level of strategy. Don't you have a message yet on your phone? Uh, it seems to be buzzing as we're talking. Check. Uh, <laughs> we'll let you check. We want to know. We'll get it on the
1: air. We're taping this on Friday. We're live uh, yeah, on the radio Friday. For Friday. Yeah, no, no. I, I think we're going to keep that side right now. So uh, it's, it's
3: profoundly a- tragic. I mean, it really is. This young man chose us. This talented young man chose to be an American and we're going to kick him out, right? And and the other thing I think that's so fascinating about this particular um, case, the 21 Savage case, is that he overstayed a visa of his parents. And that is where the vast majority of quote unquote illegal immigrants, not the ones who were in Donald Trump's mind storming the borders that don't exist, but the, it's the people who, who came here to be productive parts of our economy and overstayed because they want to be Americans. And they tried to make him out. I think there was a bit of cultural Bias. They tried to make him out to be a criminal. But the truth is, Bill, 50% of all even illegal immigrants, they they are are all illegal immigrants are 50% less likely to commit a crime than Americans. I'm going to
1: give you 20 seconds because that's we're really out of time. But But he has broken the law. I mean, it comes down to it. He may be there should be ways to keep a kid like that here but how do you balance what he's built for himself here against the fact that breaking he is here illegally?
2: Right, breaking the
3: law by overstaying his visa. Yeah, so simply
2: or,
1: that.
4: That yeah, is, actually it not is not visa. a criminal that's law. That is a case. civil violation. Right. It is not a criminal violation. Okay. The law
3: he broke was desiring to be an American. And he was that's, a minor. That's the law. <laughs> he
4: was a minor <laughs> when it is, that happened. Right. He was, so it he was, was not his
3: law here. and it's not criminal. Yeah. Yeah. All right,
4: I
1: gotta stop you. We're completely out of time uh, for today's show. I wish we could talk more about it because it's a fascinating case, but. Loretta Lepore, Chuck Cook, uh, Teresa Tomlinson, Jim Galloway. Thanks for a really uh, great discussion today. Jim, you are back with me on Monday afternoon. We'll have another show. There were so many things we didn't get to Mm -hmm. today. You and I are going to put our heads together and put them on the list for Monday's show. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you all for being uh, with us for Political Rewind. Again, we'll see you on Monday on the radio at 2 o'clock on GPB Across the State. Take care.